says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you're with me, you will produce much fruit. Jesus was very specific in Matthew chapter 28. We'll put this on the screen. He said, go therefore and make what? Church, nice and loud. Disciples, true worship is rooted in the true vine. Is what you're doing reproducible? Can you point to someone that you've invested in that is now investing in someone else? Are you bearing much fruit that remains and it doesn't end with you? Let's get off the sidelines. Let's get in the game. Let's get connected to the true vine so we can bear much fruit. Life is short. Let's do what Jesus asked us to do. Good morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 12 this morning in your Bibles, your mobile devices, whichever you choose to use. John chapter 8, verse 12. As you're doing that this morning and finding your way there, uh, first I want to say a big thank you to all of you who signed up last week to help us serve on Easter weekend. Um, Easter weekend is by far the biggest weekend in our church every year. I talked to people, I, just this morning I talked to a lady and she said, you know, Easter this year is going to be my one year anniversary. We came the first time Easter a year ago. Uh, we hear people all the time say, I accepted Christ on Easter Sunday. We're having five services this year, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. We're expecting about 3,000 people here on Easter weekend. Can we celebrate that, Orchard Church? Are you looking forward to that? It's going to be an amazing weekend. And we're going to have a lot of first-time guests, a lot of people that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to give an opportunity. There's going to be some things happen this Easter Sunday we've never done before. You'll be talking about for a long time. But we need your help. We desperately need your help. There's many areas you can serve in. We're expecting about five, 600 kids in our kids' ministry, so we can always use help there. We've got people going to help in the parking lot and greeters and the egg hunt and all that. So if there's ever been a Sunday that we need your help, it's Easter Sunday. Even even if you only serve that Sunday and you don't serve any other Sundays, we'll, we'll take it on that weekend. Some of you, maybe you could serve both of our services on Saturday night and then come on Sunday. Or maybe you could, uh, you know, serve all day Sunday and come to a service on Saturday night. But if you could help us out in any way on Easter, just on your connection card, give us your best contact information. Check the box that says, uh, I'm interested in serving. And then somewhere on the card, just write Easter, Easter a weekend. And somebody will contact you and we can really use your help on that weekend. We're expecting God to do amazing things in a couple of weeks on Easter weekend. I know you guys are inviting your friends and family and neighbors. It's going to be awesome. Today we're continuing our series, I Am Jesus. The first week we looked at the I Am statement in the book of John. There's seven statements. We're looking at four of these in our series. We looked at the statement where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. Last week we talked about I am the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. We are the branches and apart from him we can do nothing. But if we abide in him, and he abides in us, we'll bear much fruit. Today we're going to look at the third of our I am statements in John chapter 8 verse 12. Let's look at it together. I want you guys to participate and help me with this because Jesus spoke to them again saying, let's say it together. I am the light of the world. Okay, I said let's say it together, not mumble it together. I think I heard like two people. Come on, I got to do this three times. Help me out. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You don't need to walk in darkness. And thank God for that. Because none of us like the dark. How many of you guys, if you're honest, when you're a kid like me, you were afraid of the dark? Raise your hand up. Nice night. Come on. There's more of you than that. You were afraid of the dark when you were a kid. Uh, my mom, you know, she had like a nightlight in my room. And then I remember there was a cross. My bed was like here. And straight across from my bed was my closet. And I had like the sliding door. And right above my closet, I, I could always see it right in front of me in my bed. She had this cross above my uh, closet. But what was great, it was a glow-in-the-dark cross. And so at night, I would look at that cross, and it would glow in the right, and it would always give me hope and give me encouragement. As long as the closet doors were completely closed. You know why, don't you? Because there's a monster that lives in the closet, and if you leave the door open even a little bit, they can find their way out. And not only that, when I was laying in my bed, and I, I'm this way to this day, I could never let my, my foot slip out the covers or my arm because the monster that lives under the bed, you know, they'll grab you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And then, and then you know, if, if in the middle of the night as a little boy I had to get up and go pee-pee, you know, I would, I would get out of my bed, but I would do it like this. I would jump over the monster that was trying to grab me. I would go to the bathroom, and I would come back, and I would jump back into bed. <laughs> Am I the only one that did that? I don't think so. Because I hated the dark. Even as an adult today, there are times I'm afraid of the dark. I like light better than dark. I, I'm a, a hunter. Um, I like to bow hunt and, and uh, elk hunt. And like some of the men and ladies in our church. And I, uh, you, when you go elk hunting, you've got to get up, you know, at like 3 in the morning. And you've got to hike down the trail. And, and I hunt out of a tree stand. And so I bow hunt out of a tree stand for elk, and my tree stand is about an hour hike in the dark before I get to my, my trail and my tree stand. I usually hike in with some other guys, but then we get to a certain point, and then everybody kind of goes their own way, and i got to finish the rest of the hike by myself for about 10 minutes in the dark at like, you know, 4 or 5 in the morning. And I'm always freaking out because I just know, you know, the lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, are going to make me an appetizer. And, and I saw something on Facebook a few years ago that once you see something like this, you can never get it out of your mind, no matter how hard I try. Every time, this is truth, every time I go in the woods, in the dark, to get in my tree stand, I got to climb up in my tree stand, it's about 20 foot off the ground. Yeah, that's what I think about. Somebody took a picture of a bear in a tree stand. So I get to my tree stand, I take my flashlight, and I'm like looking to make sure there's no bears in my tree stand because I, I don't like the, the dark. I like hunting, but I don't like the dark, which, which, by the way, turkey hunting season for spring is coming up, and your pastor needs a place to go turkey hunting. So if anybody knows a good place for me to go turkey hunting, come see me afterward. You say, man, are you just playing the pastor card to get a place to go hunting? Yes, absolutely, I am. I've been wanting to go turkey hunting, and I haven't found a good place. So you come see me, and I'll be your best friend. But there's this contrast in the Bible between light and darkness throughout the Bible. And, and we know that God, when he shows up in the Bible, he always shows up as blazing, blinding light. And Satan is always pictured in the Bible as darkness. He's even called the prince of darkness. You know, remember in the beginning in Genesis, God said, let there be 
light. And there was light and he separated the light from the darkness. And God is light and Satan is the prince of darkness. We're reminded of this in a statement in Acts chapter 26 verse 17. Put it on the screen where God was talking to the apostle Paul and he was sending him to spread the gospel around the known world at that time. And God said this, yes Paul I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from, say it church, darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. God wants to bring us out of darkness and into the light. And so today we're looking at this life-changing statement that Jesus made in John chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never have to walk in darkness. And many of you, if you've been in church any time, you've probably heard that statement where Jesus declares, I'm the light of the world. But I don't know if you've ever noticed the context of the story and the 11 verses of John chapter 8 that leads up to verse 12 when Jesus makes this statement. Because when you understand the context of the story that this statement comes out of, it's going to bring more depth and meaning than ever before to Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Because it comes in the place of one of the most grace-filled stories in all of the Bible. It's about a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And how Jesus responds. And we're going to look at three parts to this story this morning. We're going to look at the law, the love, and the light. So if you're taking notes this morning, first I want you to see in this story, the law always reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. We're going to start in John chapter 8 verse 1 and work our way up to this statement in verse 12. John 8 verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So Jesus is teaching these people in the temple. And then the scribes and the Pharisees show up. And these were the self-righteous, judgmental, religious leaders of the day that Jesus was always combating. And it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in, what church? Adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, so they bring her in, set her in front of Jesus and all these people... They said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. It paints this picture for us here. It's, it's as if they had just caught her in the act of adultery and they bring her in, to, in front of this crowd of people Jesus is teaching. Jesus sees her. The people see her. She may be unclothed. She possibly was naked or maybe she just grabbed a sheet. And, and I mean, they just throw her in front of this crowd. So we caught her in adultery. And, and do you notice the double standard here? The woman's there, but where's the guy? Where's he at? He was involved in this as well. But can you imagine in that moment, putting yourself in the place of this woman, the guilt she must have felt, the shame that she must have felt, the embarrassment that she must have felt in this moment as she's caught in the deepest, darkest sin and brought before all these people in Jesus. And how is Jesus going to respond? How are these men going to respond? Watch what happens here in verse 5. The religious leaders say to Jesus, now Moses in the law, everybody say the law. Now Moses said in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, people who commit adultery. But what do you say, Jesus? What do you think we should do with this woman? And this they said, testing Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They were trying to test you to see how he would respond to this woman who was caught in adultery. Because according to the Jewish law, was she guilty? Yes, she was guilty. The law of Moses said anyone caught in adultery could be stoned. Now, we're not talking recreationally speaking, Orchard Church. This is Colorado. This was stoned with rocks. Stoned to death. Killed. 
Now, now Jesus, they thought they had Jesus in this real pickle. By going, Jesus, what are you going to do? Because if Jesus agreed that she should be stoned to death, he would lose his reputation of being loving and gracious. And if Jesus, though, just forgives her, then it's as if he's condoning adultery and her sin, and it's okay to break Moses' law. So they've got Jesus kind of trapped, they think. What's Jesus going to do with this? But Jesus is very smart. Now, according to the law, she was guilty. The law reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. She was guilty. If you notice today, no one likes to admit they're guilty. <laughs> no one today likes to admit they're wrong. Just watch one of my favorite shows, Cops. Bad boys, bad boys. You know, nobody ever does it. You know, they catch this guy and he's got a gun in his hand and he's got stolen stuff and he's like, I didn't do it. Somebody's handed me all this. You know, no one ever wants to admit guilt, but the law reveals our guilt. Let's participate together and I'll participate with you this morning. Let's just take the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and let's see if any of us here at Orchard Church this morning, let's see if we're all perfect or if maybe the law reveals any of our guilt. You know, the Ten Commandments say we shall not lie. Let me ask you, be honest, I'll participate to. How many of you have ever lied in your life? You've told a lie. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Look around. All right. Anybody not raising their hand? They just broke the law because they're lying to all of us right now. Okay. All right. Let me ask you. How many of you have ever stolen anything in your life? You ever stolen something? Raise your hand. Come on. There's more of you than that. I know there's a bunch of ladies right now. You got 20 orchard church pins in your purse. I know you do. Okay. How many of you, men and ladies, have ever lusted? Ever in your life, you've ever lusted, okay? All right. Some of you, some of you men are like, oh, I didn't lust. I was just looking. You know, I was like, ooh, God, ooh, God, you did good with that one. Good job, God. Great creator, God. How many of you, how many of you have ever said a curse word or you've ever, even worse, taken God's name in vain? You've ever taken God's name in vain? All the golfers, would you raise your hands, please? All golfers? Yeah. See, we, the law reveals our guilt. We have all done something to break God's law. Now, if we've lied, that makes us a liar. If we've ever stolen something, that makes us a thief. If we have ever lusted, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you even lust in your heart, you've committed spiritual adultery. So we're adulterers. If we've ever taken God's name in vain, the Bible says that's blasphemy. We're blasphemers. So what we've learned so far at Orchard Church this morning is the law reveals our guilt. We're all a bunch of lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemers. Welcome to Orchard Church where we preach a feel-good message. We're glad you're here. The law reveals our guilt. But here's the deal, church. Don't miss this. Unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will not see our need for a Savior. That's the beauty of this. We're sinners who need a Savior. This lady was a sinner. This lady was commit in the, committed the act of adultery. She was caught in the very act, and she needed a Savior. The law reveals our guilt, but doesn't end there. Here's the good news. The love reveals God's grace. The love of Jesus reveals God's grace. Watch what happens here in verse 6. It says... They wanted to test Jesus and accuse him. So how is Jesus going to respond? Jesus, what are you going to do? Should we stone her to death or not? What are you going to do? And here's what Jesus did. He didn't say anything. He does something very interesting. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So they're asking Jesus, we've caught this woman in adultery. The law of Moses says she's guilty. She should be stoned. Jesus, what do you say? What should we do? He doesn't say anything. He just gets down on the ground and he starts writing with his finger in the sand or in the ground. Now, would you like to know what did he write? We all would. 
We don't know for sure, but many theologians and Bible scholars believe that what Jesus was writing on the ground was the very sins of the accusers of the Pharisees and scribes that had brought this woman to them. They believe that because when it says he wrote on the ground, this word wrote or to write, there's two different Greek words that can, can mean to write or, or, or wrote. Graphene is one of them and it means to write down. And then there's another one, it's called catagraphene, and it means to write a record against. That's the Greek word that was used here. Catagraphene, that Jesus was writing a record against. And as you're going to see in a moment, he wasn't writing a record against the woman. He was writing a record against these men who were accusing the woman. And many believe he was writing down their sins. I mean, could Jesus do this? Absolutely. He's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He's omniscient. He knows everything. The eyes of the Lord in every place. He certainly could have done this. And many believe that's exactly what he did. And then watch what happens in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he's writing their sins in the ground. They keep asking, what are we going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? He raised himself up and he said to them, I'll tell you what, guys. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now, when he said he who is without sin in the Greek, this without sin means even wanting to sin. Any of you men that are wanting to accuse this lady and you're wanting to condemn her and have her stoned to death. Any of you guys who are without sin, you've never even desired or wanted to sin. Go ahead, pick up the first stone and throw it at her. And Jesus is going right at these self-righteous, judgmental, religious leaders. And possibly even looking at their sins on the ground that he has written out. They were showing this woman no grace, no love, no mercy, no forgiveness. But Jesus was. You know, one of the things I love about this church is the grace and the love and the mercy that we offer people. This is not a condemning, judgmental church. Now listen, do we call sin, sin? Yes. But it's, it's like the old saying, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. And we want to offer to people the same thing that Jesus offers to people. And the same thing that Jesus has offered and given to us. And I'll tell you what, I know this firsthand as your pastor. That's why I always want to be loving and I want to be gracious and I want to give hope because there was a time in my life that I was not walking in the light. I was walking in the darkness. I grew up in a Christian home until I was about 15, 16. I was serving God. I was in church every time the doors were open. I was heavily involved in my youth group. When my other youth, my other teenage friends were doing things they shouldn't do, I wasn't doing them. And then I turned 16. I got a car. I got a job. I got a girlfriend. I got out of church. I got out of youth group. And by my senior year of high school, I was doing what everybody else was doing. And then I went off to college, and I didn't first go to Bible college. I went to a secular university. I went to the University of Oklahoma. I went there for four years, and I was not walking in the light. I was in a fraternity there, not the one that's been in the news lately. Let me get that straight. I would never want to be a part of that. But I was not walking in the light. I had stepped back in the darkness, and I was doing things that I was ashamed of. I didn't feel good about to this day. I regret some of those decisions and the things that I did. But after four years at University of Oklahoma, I, I met a friend that got me back into church and, and got me back walking in the light. And God, even though I had messed up so many times, 
God said, listen, Doug, I love you. I forgive you. I offer you my grace and mercy. And I thank God. If there's anybody in this room who thanks God for second chances, it's Doug Dameron. I would not be here this morning if it wasn't for the God of second chances. And some of you have that same story. Amen. And so it's, it's easier for me to offer love and grace and forgiveness because I know what I've experienced in my own life. And Jesus said, I don't, I don't condemn you, he said to me. And he's going to say to this lady, as we're going to see in just a moment. And look at what happens in verse 8. After he said, he who's without sin can throw a first stone. And again, verse 8, he stooped down and he's riding on the ground again. This is not going to go well for these guys. And then those who heard it. Now that's an interesting statement to me. Then those who heard it. Jesus isn't saying anything, but something is speaking to them and they're hearing it. That's called the Holy Spirit. And then those who heard it, probably their, their sins being named out, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. They begin to leave. Beginning, this is interesting, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Some translations say even to the youngest. Now, why did the older guys begin to walk away before the younger guys? Because they had had a longer life of sins. And Jesus probably had more sins. And then some of the older guys are like, okay, I see where this is going. I'm out of here. Some of the younger guys were too dumb to recognize it. It took them a little longer. The older guys were like, okay, I'm done. And they all just begin to walk away. And then Jesus, watch this, was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. All the accusers are gone. It's just Jesus and this woman in her darkest hour of shame and guilt and embarrassment. And verse 10 says, when Jesus had raised himself up, after continuing to ride on the ground, he saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours now? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord, no one. And Jesus said to her, Watch this, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I. In her most shameful, guilt-ridden, darkest moment of her life, Jesus gives her these incredibly grace-filled, loving words. I, neither do I condemn you. What a gracious, loving response. You know, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. He offered her both of these. A, w- a great way to remember grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. And Jesus' love in this moment toward this woman revealed God's incredible grace. And some of you this morning, you can identify with this. You can relate to this. You you need to hear this. It's as as if no one is in this room but you and Jesus. And God's grace is saying to you, you're not what you've done. You're not uh, to identify with your past. That's not your identity. You're not what you've done. You're not what others say. You're what Jesus says about you. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, with Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything else becomes new. In Romans chapter 8, listen, church, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
Now, make no mistake about it though. Why, you say, well, why do I still sometimes feel guilt? And why do I feel shame for the things I've done even though I know Jesus? Because we have an enemy who is the prince of darkness. And Revelation chapter 12 says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse God's people. He loves to make us think because of our sin and because of our, our past. He makes us feel guilty. He makes us feel shameful. He makes us think no one would ever love us and no one would ever accept us. We can't ever have a marriage that honors God. We can't ever have kids that honor God. We can't used by God. Listen, that is the voice of the accuser. It's not the voice of the Savior. The voice of the Savior is love and it's grace and it's mercy. And when Satan, listen church, when Satan reminds you of your past and he's good at it, you just remind him of his future. Because <laughs> we win in the end. Now listen, was this lady guilty? Answer, yes. Did she deserve to be punished according to the law? Yes. But because of God's love and because of God's grace, she's offered something different. Have you ever been forgiven for something that you didn't really deserve to be forgiven for? Remember how that made you feel? I remember when I first started in ministry. I started in ministry like a lot of guys do. I was a, a youth pastor. I was a student director. First six years of ministry. And then I did some other things. And then I did youth ministry again. And I remember, I think it was like my first year in student ministry. And, um, you know, when you're the student director, you got to do things that nobody else has to do sometimes. And, and I, I was in charge of the baptistry. You know, I grew up in a church. And the church I worked at had a baptismal right in the back in the middle. And so whenever it was time to baptize people on Sunday, I would have to fill up the baptistry. I'd have to make sure it was warm and the pumps were running. And so there was this one Saturday that my pastor said, hey, we've got a, a few people we're going to baptize on Sunday. So you got to make sure the baptism is ready. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I got there early on Saturday morning. I filled it up, turned the pump on, turned the heater on. It usually took six to eight hours for it to warm up. And then I, I would usually just leave it on Saturday and I would check it on Sunday morning, make sure everything was good. Because the pastor would always ask me, is the baptistry good? Is it warm? I'm like, yes. But I was there all day Saturday. I was working on some other things. And so I thought, I'm going to check it now. So I checked the baptistry on Saturday night. I put my finger in there. It was already warm. Everything was good to go. Sunday morning, I show up at church. The pastor asked me, is the baptistry ready to baptize? I'm like, yeah, pastor, good to go. He's like, you checked it. I'm like, yeah, I checked it. Good to go. And I checked it Saturday night. What I didn't know was during the night, the pump broke and it stopped pumping warm water and the thing was ice cold. And this was like in the winter time. Yeah. And so the pastor gets ready. He gets into the baptistry. Now he, he's got waders on, you know, and so it's, but he feels that it's cold with his hands. And he's like, okay, well, this thing's a little cold today. And I'm sitting out in the auditorium right down front with about 50, 60 of my teenagers. And I'm like, oh no. What is going on? I checked it. What's happening? And so the first guy gets in to get baptized, and you know, and he's just got like shorts on. And he's like, ah! He's like screaming. It was the quickest baptismal service in the history of our church. You know, he's like, I don't know the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go, 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 get out. And then at the end, my pastor would always dismiss in prayer. He would step to the front of the baptistry and he would dismiss in prayer. So he he, he prays and he says, in Jesus' name, Amen. And I kid you not. He goes, in Jesus' name, amen. I need to see Doug Dameron in my office right now. <laughs> the whole church heard it. My youth group sitting with me. And they all look at me and they go, ooh. And I'm like, I am dead meat. I am in big trouble. I go to his office 
and I tell him what happened. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm begging for forgiveness. And I, I mean, and I just knew I was going to be in trouble. And he said, okay, well, I, I forgive you. Don't let it happen again. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Isn't it nice when someone forgives you? Jesus offered forgiveness to someone who didn't deserve it. Love and grace. But I want you to notice, don't miss this in the story. I left out a few words on purpose. Jesus didn't say to this woman, I don't condemn you, I forgive you, but I also understand, ma'am, that you know, you're just always going to struggle with men. You didn't have a good relationship with your dad, your daddy wasn't around, your daddy didn't love you, so you know, you're looking for love in all the wrong places, so you're, you're probably going to do this again, and so I understand, I get it. Just like he doesn't say to us, you know, hey, I forgive you and I love you, but I know you're always going to struggle with lust. You're always going to struggle with overeating. You're always going to struggle with overspending. You're always going to struggle with gossip and anger and, and your mouth. And, you know, I love you and I forgive you. And you're, you're, you're just always going to struggle and I accept that. That's not what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said in verse 11. He said, neither do I condemn you. And then he added this. Say the next word, church. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Some of your Bibles might even say, now go. This word go has a sense of urgency to it. He said, I love you. I'm offering you grace and mercy. I forgive you. I don't condemn you. But from this day forward, go and sin no more. I'm setting you free. Step out of darkness and into the light. And he says the same thing to some of you this morning. Some of you in this room, you may have some secret dark side of your life that nobody knows about but you and God. There may be, I, I mean, I just want to keep this real. And this is the times that we live in, unfortunately. But in a crowd this size, there are probably some people in this auditorium right now living in adultery. If not living in adultery, you're flirting with it. There's some of you maybe in this room right now, you're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with materialism. You're struggling with anger. You're struggling with unforgiveness. And because of that darkness, of that sin, you, you feel, you may have, everything looks great on the outside, but on the inside, you feel like I felt when I was in college away from God. You feel shame, and you feel guilt, and you, you hate yourself. You may even want to harm yourself. You may have doubts about your faith, and you, you think you can never change, that you're always going to struggle with this area of your life. Can I tell you what Jesus says to you this morning? I don't condemn you. I love you. I forgive you. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I forgive you. I offer you grace and mercy. But from this day forward, go now and sin no more. Step out of darkness into the light. That's what he says to all of us this morning. He wants to set us free. Amen? I was talking to a man in our church just recently. He's got an incredible story of life change. He struggled for years with pornography, like a lot of men. He struggled with this. And he said, I had come to the place in my, my life as a Christian that I just accepted I was always going to struggle with this in my life. And I had believed the lie of the enemy that I would just never have victory over this in my life. And he said, it wasn't until I studied the scriptures enough and I realized that Jesus has set me free from sin. I don't have to walk in darkness. I can walk in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. And when I stopped believing the lies of the enemy, I started believing the truth of the Savior, my life changed. And now he's wanting to help other men. But it, it, you have to believe that. The law reveals our guilt. The love reveals God's grace. So that he can say, 
neither do I condemn you, but go now and sin no more. And then finally, the light reveals our hope. The light reveals our hope. In verse 11, when Jesus said to that woman, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Those were words that were full of hope and freedom and change. He was saying to her, you don't have to be like this. You don't have to live like this. And then he says the big I am statement. Jesus spoke in verse 12 to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Doesn't that have deeper meaning now when you see the story that precedes it? And he said this to the crowd. Don't miss this, church. When Jesus said to that woman, I don't condemn you, the light of the world became the light of her world. He was no longer just the light of the world. He was the light of her world. He gave her incredible hope and freedom with those words. In John 14, verse 20, uh, 46, John 12, 46, Jesus said this, I have come as a light into the world that whoever, everyone say whoever. Does that include everybody? Yeah. No matter who you are, what you've done, or what your past. There are people that think, I've done too much wrong for the light of the world to step in. No. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And when Jesus becomes the light of your world, it changes everything. Darkness, listen church, never defeats light. Darkness can never defeat light. And there's nothing that gives hope like light. Nothing. I remember this one time when I was coming out of my, my stand hunting. And it was already, the sun had gone down. It was very dark. And I was having to try to meet up with the other guys. And I, I always wear this headlamp. You know, and when I turn that on, it gives me great hope. Because I can see and I try to get the biggest headlamp I can. You know, I want like a high beam going through the forest. I probably scare all the animals, but I don't care. I don't want to get eaten. And I remember I got out of my stand. I turned my headlamp on and it flickered and it went out. And it's pitch black dark. And I'm like, oh, great. And, I, and I, that day I had already seen a bear. Not in my stand, but I saw one running around. I was like, oh, he's just waiting to eat me. And I was like, man, my batteries must have went out. And I was, I was fearful of the darkness. And then I remembered that I had some batteries in my pack in case that happened. And I, I was shuffling through my pack and I found the batteries like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And I, I got out my lamp and I put them in and boom, my light was back on. And man, I was like, oh, I felt peace. And I felt such hope. That's what light does. It brings hope to the darkest of situations. And Jesus brings hope and light to every situation. If we'll step out of darkness into the light, some of you, you feel like your marriage is in darkness right now. And what you need is the light of the world to be the light of your world and to be the light of your marriage as you walk with him, you follow him, the light of your family. Some of you feel like there's darkness clouding around you with your finances. Let the light of the world get involved or your health situation or whatever your circumstances is. Let the light of of the world be the light of your world because light always defeats darkness listen there isn't enough darkness to put out the smallest amount of light no matter how dark it is you can't get it dark enough to put out the smallest amount of light darkness can never defeat light let me give you an example this morning can we just kill the lights everything down all the way all of them okay Pretty dark, pretty dark. Try to get as dark as we can. Now, here's what I want you guys to do as we sit in darkness. To prove to you that darkness can never defeat the smallest amount of light. 
take out your cell phones, turn them on, hold them up. Some of y'all were grabbing for them when the lights went out. Hold them up, hold them up, all across the auditorium. Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. If you can see every one of these lights, say yes. Because darkness can never defeat light. Micah 7, 8, listen, says, For though I fall, I will rise again. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Some of you today are sitting in darkness in your life. But the Lord wants to be your light. The light of the world wants to be the light of your world. The law, yes, reveals our guilt. But the love of Jesus reveals God's grace. And the light gives hope to all of us. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the light of the world. And whoever follows you does not have to walk in darkness. And Lord, we thank you that this is so personal because the light of the world wants to be the light of our world. Step in to some dark situations this morning and bring your light. So we continue in prayer this morning. Some of you here this morning, you can relate to this message. You're, you're, you feel like you're facing darkness in the area of your life. Maybe you feel like there's darkness surrounding your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your finances, your health. Maybe you feel like there's darkness surrounding your relationship with Jesus himself. Maybe there was a time you were close to him, but now you feel like that relationship has grown a little bit dark. Maybe for some of you this morning, you, you feel like this woman caught in the act of adultery. Maybe nobody else knows about it, but God knows about it. And you've been walking in the darkness of sin. The good news this morning is that Jesus did not come to condemn you, neither did I. He came to invite you to step out of darkness into the light. He came to set you free. He came to say to you, I love you, I forgive you, I give you grace and mercy, but from this day forward, go and sin no more. As believers in Jesus Christ, if Jesus has spoken to you in some particular personal way this morning, can I pray for you that you'd say, I want the light of the world to be the light of my world in the dark areas of my life. Would you slip up your hand right now all across the auditorium? Lift them up high. Lift them up high. God bless you. Thank you. Hands are everywhere. Hands are everywhere. Let me pray for you. Father, we ask that you would be the light of our world as we follow you, as we claim your word, as we receive freedom and victory in living out that when we walk with you and follow you, we do not have to walk in darkness. Set some people free this morning. Give them victory over their sins and their struggles. For those that are facing dark areas of their life, Lord, there's, there's no amount of darkness we know that can defeat the smallest amount of light. And we pray that you would bring light to their situation as they walk with you this morning. Encourage them. Bring them hope because of your love and your grace and mercy. As we continue to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed, some of you this morning, I got some bad news and some great news. Here's the bad news. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never received the light of the world, Jesus, and what he did on the cross to pay for your sins, the Bible says spiritually you've been walking in darkness your whole life, whether you realize it or not. And just like God sent Paul to open the eyes of people walking in darkness, to bring them out of darkness into light, that's exactly what God wants to do for some of you right now this morning. He wants to set you free from your sins. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to save you. He wants to be the light of your world. And if you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, aren't you ready to walk out of darkness into the light? The law reveals our guilt. 
But his love reveals God's grace and the light brings us hope. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's right now in this place where you sit. You don't have to walk in darkness any longer. It's not a magic prayer. They're not magic words. But if you put faith and belief behind them, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, will step into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you eternal life. If that's you this morning, would you pray this prayer with me right now? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe you are the light of the world. And today, Jesus, I want you to be the light of my world. I accept you into my life by faith. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. All that I've done, past, present, and future. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for being the light of my world. And with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, no one looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time, I would like to personally have the honor and privilege of praying for you this morning. If you just prayed that prayer of faith, would you slip up your hand as a testimony so I can pray for you and say, yes, I accepted Christ this morning. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Several hands. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for those this morning who have made the most important decision of their life to put their faith and trust in you, to step out of darkness and into light. I pray that they would follow you now all the days of their life. They don't have to walk in darkness ever again. None of us do because you are the light of the world and whoever follows you does not have to walk in darkness and we have the light of life. Thank you for being the light of our world and we praise you and thank you for these decisions for you this morning and all God's people said, amen. Can we celebrate the light of the world this morning what he's done in this place, amen. Um, next week, we will be wrapping up our series, I Am Jesus. I've saved one of the best for last and most appropriate because it's the Sunday before Easter. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' I Am statement where he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Are you guys ready to celebrate that? It's going to be incredible. Next Sunday, leading us into Easter. Not only that, but we have decided this year, we always have a communion on Sunday night, on Palm Sunday, which will be next Sunday. But we've decided this year to actually put it right in our Sunday morning service. So at the end of the message, we're going to be taking communion in all three of our services as we remember Christ's sacrifice, his body, and his blood to pay for our sins. So you do not want to miss next Sunday as it's really going to prepare us for the Easter week. And then we'll come the next Sunday and we'll celebrate that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Amen. So man, we're excited. Listen. We're doing a lot of things to invite people to our church. I mean, we can do billboards. We can put it in magazines. But there's nothing greater than a personal invite. They say 85% of people who get a personal invite to an Easter service from a friend or coworker, neighbor will come. So let's take advantage of that. Let's just see this place packed out. And I want to encourage you guys in the 930 service, please come Easter weekend. But do not come to the 930 service. Okay, I, I, you guys did great last year. 
we please come either to the 8 o'clock service or come to one of the services on Saturday night so we can free up a room for, for our first time guests and people that need Christ. So please make that sacrifice and plan to either come to 8 or Saturday. That will really help us out a lot. You guys did great with that uh, last year. and You can help us with that again uh, this year. If you're a first time guest this morning, hopefully you filled out your guest connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can send you a little thank you note and a free gift in the mail. Uh, we're not interested in your money today, guests, but we're definitely interested in you. So drop those in if you would. Let's stand as we close in a song of worship and worship the Lord through our giving and our gifts. God bless you for being here this morning.